0: And welcome to this week's edition of an organic conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and because of all of this, really about life itself. We're your host, Helge Helberg. And Mark Mulcahy.
1: And Sitarani Palomar. Really? We're,
0: we're excited about today's show <laughs> as we're looking at our front and back yard gardens and a new approach to sustainable garden designs. Everything we can do to make the summertime in the garden as fun and as ecologically and environmentally friendly as possible. Moving past the lawn, environmental landscaping today on An Organic Conversation.
1: Yeah, I think of lawns as being quite a lot of work, actually, which we'll talk about that a little later, what my experience with that has been. But I love the lush environment that you get from a lawn. So I'm curious, with this approach of no-mow yards, (laughs) whether you can still enjoy the springtime, summertime environment of a yard without the amount of effort that we're accustomed to having to put in to maintain it.
0: Mm. Yes, we'll see. We'll find out. And does that mean no
2: mow lot yards or no mow yards? <laughs> like you're not going to have a yard or you are going to have a yard?
0: Good question. <laughs> yes, moving past the lawn, all that. Today we will discuss environmental landscaping. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: And we will take a quick break, but stay in tune for our first interview about moving past the lawn, that and more when we come back right after the break.
3: Are you a chef? Have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit Earl's Organic
0: dot com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm
1: Sitarani Palma.
0: Today's topic is moving past the lawn, environmental landscaping. Most of us played on lawns in our childhood, whether in our backyards or in the park. We all know the feeling of grass under our toes. The soft bed of nature's carpet, so perfect to just lay on, do cartwheels on, or yes, play soccer on. And while grass is such a fun and beautiful natural surface, It takes the world to keep it pretty, irrigated, and nourished. Literally, it takes the world. The use of water and fertilizers and herbicides used every year to keep home gardens in the United States healthy and strong is becoming an environmental issue. So what are the alternatives? Are there grass varieties that require less maintenance and less water? Are there environmentally friendly alternatives for backyard landscaping that are more responsible and as fun and versatile as grass? Well, you're about to find out. Moving Past the Lawn, Environmental Landscaping, today on Inorganic An Conversation. And with us now, calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota, is Evelyn Haddon, the founder of Less Lawn. Evelyn, are you with us?
4: I am with you, and I am so excited. <laughs> we are too. <laughs> yes, you
0: are with me. I love it. Moving Past the Lawn, when when did you make this your main focus of your professional and perhaps even personal world?
4: Uh, That's well put because it is really an obsession with me and has been Uh, ever since I bought my first house in, uh, I guess that was 1993. And uh, I just was in St. Paul. It was March, and it was just a flat carpet of white snow. There was nothing outside to look at except the street with the cars and the other houses. There was no life, you know, and uh, I just... uh, I quickly began thinking, "What can I do? What can I do? I need to see, you know, something moving, <laughs> something that's natural." And that's when I started thinking about all that a landscape can provide, and I, I really had taken landscapes for granted until then.
0: Mm. And you're bringing up a really good point, which is that it's, it's, we are not talking about kind Cal- of the Southern California um, hard to irrigate front front yard. We are talking. A phenomenon, or an issue, or a challenge that is true for really, literally, the entire United States. Right? Every city, every region deals with the maintenance, the upkeep, um, irrigation issues of lawns. Ongoingly, the mowing. It's not just a regional challenge.
4: It's not, and um, and really, if you look at the U.S., uh, not all of us have a climate that will support a an unirrigated lawn. Only lawn would only grow without our help in maybe parts of the northeast and parts of the great plains Mm -hmm. and the rest of us it really requires us to con to continue its survival
2: well you know evelyn i came across this topic about a year ago Uh, uh there was an article and we i heard about your book and um, and the no, the whole no-lawn movement, and so it fascinated me, and I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit about the environmental impacts of lawn care and the upkeep in the U.S., such as water and pesticide and fertilizer use, you know, things like that?
4: Sure, I can. Yes, and water is really uh, a big one. Drinking water is becoming scarcer, as you know. Um, you guys are subject to uh, watering restrictions and water use restrictions, and Lots of other parts of the country are starting to do that as well. And yet we use a lot of that drinking water to irrigate our yards. And as our population continues to grow, our demand keeps growing, and we need to maybe uh, think about our priorities and how will we spend that fresh water. What will we use that on?
2: And is there any type of statistics out there about like how much water is used on a, to grow a lawn or in different areas of the country, those types of things?
4: Yeah, there are different uh, statistics. Uh, They are between, uh, the numbers are about between 30 to 50% of the drinking water that's consumed is used on our home landscapes, depending on where we are in the country and who's doing the study.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow, 30 to 50%. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and and just to add to that, um, that's astonishing. And when it comes to pesticides and herbicides for, for lawn care, and that's without fertilizers, just in terms of herbicides. About a billion pounds of pesticides are used in agriculture in the United States alone, and another billion pounds is used in private households. So the equivalent of what is used in U.S. agriculture is used in in private homes and through governmental agencies. Much of that, if not all of it, actually goes into the lawn. That's right. And you know, the lawn doesn't
4: even use all of the all of the pesticide or fertilizer that we provide, a lot of it does get washed out without being even absorbed by the lawn. A lot of the fertilizer in particular, uh, you know, lawn can only absorb it so quickly and it runs off into surface water and creates all kinds of environmental problems for aquatic life.
0: Yes, Repairing Habitats. And yet, the lawn is what we remember as kids. It's such a beautiful you know surface to play on it It is the quintessential summer outdoor spot to sit on and to play on. Have you found in your work alternatives to to particular grass types, or are you a clear advocate away from lawn and beyond lawn and and, and what are the alternatives
4: um, There are many, many possibilities, and I have to say that. Childhood memories really vary too. You know, my childhood memories are of pine needles and long grasses <laughs> and a lot of different surfaces. And uh, yes. you know, we spent a long, a lot of time camping in the, in actually the Sawtooth Mountains of Idaho, and uh, which is where I grew up. And so, my childhood memories are a little bit different, but we do all have that sort of ideal in our minds of the lawn and running barefoot across it or rolling down the hill. Uh, and those are powerful memories, but there are so many other memories to have, and there are so many other types of landscape to have that really uh, it's a vast, vast spectrum. My, my book, Beautiful Nomo Yards talks about 11 different categories of lawn alternatives. You start with living carpets, which are just maybe one or two species or even a a mix of them that are kind of making a low living tapestry, and you can progress to shade gardens, meadow and prairie gardens, rain gardens, patios, ponds. You know, uh, the list goes on. Uh, You get all the way to lawnless gardens, and um, there are, there are stroll gardens and xeric uh, gardens. You have edible gardens. You have players that are lawnless. There are just so many possibilities.
1: Yeah, your books are so beautiful. I was. We have um, beautiful Nomo yards in front of us, and. It is what you're talking about, creating this really inviting environment, right, with all of these different alternatives. I know you have another another picture book base that has more photos. So can you kind of walk us through what an ideal yard scenario would be? What does a sustainable yard look like? I know you said you have 11 or, or 50, in this case, 50 amazing lawn alternatives, but um, some specifics about what people might do to go this route.
0: And sticking with grass to begin with, maybe, are there grass varieties that you can recommend that are hardier or um, sure. you know, require less, less water, or is there such a, such, such a thing as organic lawn care in that sense?
4: Yeah, there definitely are a lot of what I call smarter lawns, and that um, there, you can start with different species, and the species that you use would depend on your region and your site, so you can choose species that are better adapted to your conditions, and then they'll require less help from you to survive and thrive.
0: How would you find those species on your website?
4: Uh, if you uh if you go to wildflower dot org which is not my website, it is the website of uh the ladybird johnson wildlife center Wildflower Center they've just developed a mix of grasses that is they're all native grasses, there are five to seven in the mix, mm-hmm. and uh it makes a turf that stays low. And you wouldn't ever need to mow it if you didn't want to, but you could mow it, and it requires much less water because the plants are native to dry climate, hot summer regions. So a lot of the western U.S., uh, this would work for, uh, and their mix is called Habiturf, and it just uh, came out last year, uh, and it is the result of a lot of their research. And I think that the availability of that mix is really going to uh, give people a great option who have otherwise had a had trouble finding something that would be lawn-like that would grow in their hot arid climates.
0: And you you making a good point. Those mixes are lawn-like, right? It's basically gla- grass, perhaps a different type of grass, but that you would be able to see that it's different type of grass. But that's where that's where it ends. It behaves like grass. Um, in this it case, looks even less
4: like a lawn when you mow. Yes have a turf, it looks just like a lawn. It's a very thick, dense turf. I can attest to this. I've walked barefoot in it, and it feels great. <laughs> and when you leave it uh, and let it grow higher, then uh, the little grasses form tiny seed heads, all different kinds of seed heads, so it kind of has a nice texture to it, and the wind ripples through it and creates a little more movement and life, and I always think that's a beautiful addition to a landscape.
0: Yes and the, that grass mix you're bringing up the idea of hybrids you're talking in, in in your book a lot about hybrid gardens as well not just the the very seed mix of the lawn you want to sow but making having you know some maybe easier to maintain and and less water needy lawn area and yet working that within a landscape right where i'm not
4: i'm not an extremist who says you shouldn't ever have a lawn i do feel like the lawn and other really um, higher demand landscape elements, it's um, more rewarding for us, and it uses less resources, too, so it's a win-win, if we shrink those areas to the, the size that we need and use. And so a lot of times I'll start out a talk, speaking to gardeners, I will say, you know, um, let's start with places that you never go except to mow and look at what else you can do there. Instead of a lawn that's maybe less resource-intensive and less work-intensive, and then uh, you get to relax more and enjoy the lawn that you do have.
0: Yes, brilliant, and resources, um, that's both time and money, and how you can even save more. Um, we'll discuss when we come back right after the break. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palmer. And
0: with us today is Evelyn Haddon, the founder of Les Lawn from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's LessLawn.com. As we are discussing lawn alternatives on our show today, moving past the lawn, environmental landscaping. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Stay tuned.
4: Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com that's f r e y w i n e.com
0: back here to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
1: I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: And today with us is Evelyn Haddon, the founder of Less Lawn, joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota, as we are discussing lawn alternatives and lawns that require less maintenance, less water, less pesticides, and with that, less of your budget and time. Uh, Before we go back into that interview, we are transitioning into the world of fruits and vegetables. Here's our weekly update from the Produce Doc, our very own Mark Mokehi with What's in Season.
2: Yeah, today we're going to talk about something that you uh, like to say begins the baseball season for you, Helga. Uh, we're talking about that tender firm spear that everybody loves i think i think most people love this earl are you, are you earl are you there i'm here and so this is earl herrick uh, the voice of the market from earl's organic produce in san francisco earl let's talk a little bit about those spears that are out there right now
3: mm. well you know every year you're walking the market and and you know it's spring because what's popping up all over the street are asparagus Uh, strawberries and artichokes. Traditionally, that's what's heralded, you know, the great spring season. But anymore, that's not so, because the world's smaller, food's coming from all over the place, and asparagus probably illustrates that the best. It it comes from, wow, Chile, Peru, uh, Mexico uh, probably produces it year-round now, and then, of course, California produces it everywhere from the desert the coast through the great valley of salinas and all the way up to uh, up to washington
0: how about so the east coast earl like do you, if the it's a short growing season um, the the further north you go but can yep. asparagus be grown in kind of any mediterranean temperate kind of climate or what, what's what's the growing condition you need for asparagus
3: yeah you're right it can grow in almost as a matter of fact asparagus grows wild in a lot of different places but i uh, you know uh you, you all you need is a certain kind of mild Mediterranean, as you say a certain amount of moisture and me, for example michigan produces a fair amount of asparagus mm-hmm. so yes you can find it pretty much everywhere
0: and i've now, seen i've seen asparagus as early as what 4 or 5 weeks ago already that seems really early or is that normal for the season where are we this year
3: well yes you you definitely you, you probably been seeing it since december because it's been in and out out of uh, the southern hemisphere for right now we're right at the threshold of the end of the end of the mexican crop and the beginning of the california so salinas valley is probably the biggest producer probably in the world or at least in america and that's coming into full Production, so you're going to see. You know, we're a couple of weeks away from Easter, but traditionally Easter and Mother's Day they're big promotion times for asparagus.
2: And so that's also because of that, because they're they're coming from that area. That's when the the prices are going to be bet, the best, and you'll start seeing the values in the store for you know for shopping.
3: I think you're going to probably see on promotion you could get it as low as two ninety nine a pound
2: for organic.
0: You're talking about. Exactly
3: exactly yeah. and right now before production before the ads you're probably at 599 to 799 mhm
0: mm-hmm. and then earl i've seen i've seen like really thin ones that i had delicious mm-hmm. and then sometimes they're really like thumb thick are those is that the same variety just harvested earlier or how many varieties are in the marketplace roughly
3: well Again, there's so, so many hybrids of, of any crop, it's hard to distinguish, but the sizing really has to do with just how it's coming out of the ground because it's really unique. It's, the production is from a bulb, which produces for about five or six years, but it's totally random and inconsistent. <laughs> so you could drive right by a field of asparagus and not even know it's there because it'll grow. The asparagus spear that you're buying is going to grow pretty much in one day. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're
3: kidding me. Yeah. No, it, it really is. It's
0: absolutely amazing. It's <laughs> random. Wow. And
3: it's totally random. So you have people, it's all hand harvested too. And and you're going along, uh, you know, almost on your knees, I mean hunched over, and you're harvesting each spear individually. Wow.
2: And, you know, the interesting thing about that, Earl, is that You know, people will people will swear because you could Earl at the market. Earl can actually buy; he can buy small pencil thin asparagus because they will actually divide it up that way. Or he can buy; you know, there's a standard sizing. There's different sizing. So what you see in the market sometimes. Um, you know, can be these different sizes. But they literally have to take those those <laughs> individual pencil sizes and put That's them all together and funny. then all these standard sizes and stick them all that together. so
3: fascinating. Well, you know, also the other thing you, you're going to see in markets and I see on our market is what you call asparagus tips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're maybe you know five or six inches long, and I think that 's a pretty good value now, how that 's come about is as they 're harvesting it, you know they 're stuffing it mostly in, 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 in a bag in front on their chest
2: yeah, yeah.
3: and they're, the ends or the bottoms sometimes break off, so rather than lose those or have irregular sizes within sure. a box, they just make them all <laughs> the same size about five or six inches. And sell them as t- asparagus tips.
2: Kind of like oh. broccoli crowns, right? So no.
0: Yes, yeah. and, and this is a good year flavor wise. Was the weather um, suitable yeah. for asparagus?
3: Well, you know, out here in California, we've been going, it's a fairly unique uh, winter we've had in spring. It's been very low moisture, there's been some cool nights. And with the low moisture, see, those are the two things that are the villain with asparagus is rain and cold weather. If it rains too hard, they can't, they're not going to be slopping around in the field. And if it's cold, it's actually not going to grow. So we're hitting some pretty great weather.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, it's actually perfect. So great. Yep. Thank you, Earl. As always, Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco. Thanks again for all the great information. And, we'll, and once again, we'll look forward to having you on next week.
3: Great talking to you all. Thanks, Earl.
2: Okay, bye-bye. So, and if you are ever wondering about white asparagus, white asparagus is the exact same plant as green asparagus. They just keep putting dirt up. As it starts poking its head out of the ground, they keep putting dirt up around it to keep the sun off of it so it doesn't get any chlorophyll. And so then they harvest it, and it's all completely white, but it's the exact same plant. So when you are going into the market, you want to make sure that it's firm. You want to select firm, straight, smooth, Rich green stock. Sometimes you'll notice it where you'll start seeing a little shrivel on the stock. That means it's starting to age. And it should be stored on either ice or in water trays. It, you don't want to buy it if it's being sprayed by the sprayers from your uh, produce stand because constant uh, wetness on the tips will actually make them break down in your refrigerator. So you mm. would like to get them where they're off the refrigerator in a pan of water or on ice. So just a quick tip there. And secondly, You want to make sure when it comes to flavor, people will swear by one size or the other, but I can't find any definitive information that tells me that, you know, the thinner ones taste better than the, the thicker ones. And, from my own experience, I haven't found that to be necessarily true either. So, you know, go ahead and buy them. And and during this time of year, a thick one can actually almost be just as tender as that thinner one because now is the season. so So the plants are at a perfect time for you to be eating them no matter what size they are. So you want to make sure that you, when you get them home, do not wash your asparagus before storing and never soak it. A good way to keep it is you just put, you just trim the ends of the asparagus and stand them upright in a in a jar of water with just about an inch in the water, an inch of water in the bottom, and then cover with a plastic bag and store your spears in the refrigerator for up to about two days, two or three days, making sure that those tips stay dry. So. You know, this is the time, and asparagus is just amazing. So whether it's purple or green or white or whatever you choose, go out there and get some asparagus in there because there's so many ways to use it, and it is a great value right now.
0: And find out what you like most, th- and thick f- or thin or, yeah, you know, it's yeah. as individual as yeah. we are oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was Mark Mokehi with our weekly produce update, What's in Season. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, you're welcome. And then all the different ways of, of cooking asparagus, grilling. Right? Baseball season, the, flavor, the scent of fresh grilled asparagus. It's more so on that linked in... for baseball season for you guys. <laughs> I don't you know guys. why. It's hysterical. Yes. And I did not know about this sport up until <laughs> two years ago. And more on the preparation and the use of asparagus in Sita's uh, holistic bite. Chef Sita, a little down the road here during this show. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helder. I'm Mark Polkahi.
1: And I'm Sita Ronnie Palomar.
0: And we are moving past the lawn That's today's topic, environmental landscaping. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back with more. Stay tuned.
1: Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earls Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com.
0: And we are back to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And
1: I'm Sita Rani Palomar.
0: With us from Minneapolis, Minnesota is Evelyn Hedden, the founder and expert on less Lawns. It's lesslawn.com. really creating alternatives to the common lawn, which could be um, lawn-based alternatives or even further. And Mark, you had an interesting...
2: Well, Evelyn, you've really taken on quite a task, because when I went to the Lawn Institute, that website, and just started looking at some facts that the frequently asked questions, it said the land area collectively occupied by U.S. lawns equals a land mass greater than that of Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Rhode Island combined.
4: Yeah, that is really astonishing, Mark, isn't it? <laughs> and you know that uh, lawn is the largest irrigated crop in the United States now. We grow three times more lawn than irrigated corn, and it doesn't feed anyone. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. If it was a crop, you know, one could argue, but it goes somewhere in landfill, right? It doesn't really do anything. In many cases, hopefully, it will be composted, but often it gets shipped and hauled off and, and dumped somewhere uh, where it doesn't even turn into soil again.
4: And it does actually take resources to grow the lawn. Yes. So it's a... It's a sink as far as resources go.
2: <laughs> and and well, and there's something else I think, uh, Evelyn. That I think there's an emotional cost. I mean, I think as as Sita was talking about at the beginning of the show is, as Americans we love our lawns. It's actually a rite of passage that you grow up and you are mowing a lawn or raking a lawn or something like that. So even with this beautiful work that you're talking about doing and and is. Is there is there a little bit of a, a backlash sometimes to what you're saying when you're going out and having these talks because people have the, an emotional attachment to this piece of greenery that they have in their yard?
4: Well, I think you can get an emotional attachment to a lot of different things in nature. And, uh, you know, I don't ever tell people, well, you should get rid of that lawn. Mm-hmm. So I don't traumatize them by, you know, <laughs> <laughs> threatening to take away their lawn. <laughs> But you can get emotionally attached to your favorite tree that you maybe would uh, climb up into as a, as a kid. Or uh, I know when I was a child, I used to hide in inside the centers of shrubs, and I know a lot of kids like that kind mm-hmm. of cave-like area. So you can develop a real attachment to all that, not to mention the wildlife, You know uh, the creatures that come when you have more than a lawn, when you have other plants to draw in, butterflies and birds and interesting animals to look at. Mm-hmm. So Great. I think that makes a really, really emotionally rewarding landscape, too.
1: Yeah, I think that's an excellent segue um, because I want to hear about how we actually create that now that we're doing it in a sustainable way. You were talking about some of the alternatives that people might do for um, a more sustainable lawn, like the seed mixes that have hardier grasses that don't require as much maintenance, as well as looking at your yard and seeing where you're not mowing and how you can repurpose that section that wouldn't take as much time and resources. So can you, some of these things you were just mentioning, can you walk us through that? What what are the things that you would put in place? And did you say you had a, an 11-step recommendation in your book about how to create a sustainable lawn?
4: I have, uh, I have 11 different categories of lawn alternatives. Uh-huh. But I'd say if you want to start, uh, and you're asking maybe as a, as a homeowner or a exactly. person who's not necessarily a, an avid gardener, where would I start shrinking my lawn? I usually tell people, um, start with the places that you don't mow, or that you don't go except to mow, maybe a slope uh, where you aren't going to use the lawn anyway for sitting or running. And uh, a slope can be a beautiful garden, especially if you have a walkway underneath it. It brings those plants up to eye level, and you can actually showcase some of the smaller plants easier. Uh, You you can see them without stooping. Uh, And you can keep those plants low or make them uh, taller, and they will do a better job of... um, uh, catching runoff that's coming down the slope and of holding the soil against erosion too. So that's a functional and maybe an aesthetically pleasing place to put a garden. Uh, I also talk about uh, trees that are growing in lawns. Most trees aren't real happy with that and neither is the lawn uh, because they kind of want different environments. Mm. And so if you can take, um, make an island around that tree and put in uh, ground layer plants, maybe even some shrubs, you can create a little garden there and shrink your lawn and make your tree healthier at the same time.
2: And why is it that trees and lawns don't like the same thing?
4: Well, you think about what trees want. Uh, They would prefer uh, to have soil that's not compacted across their root zone, and they do produce leaves that that they drop periodically. Even the evergreens drop their leaves periodically. Um, And that produces a nice layer of... uh, partly decomposed leaves right on their root zone and that protects their roots from drying out and it uh, brings in all of the uh, soil life that then processes those leaves and turns them into new food for the trees. So the trees are kind of creating their own environment to sustain them and when we put a lawn under them and we break away all the leaves then we're really uh, making a lot of work for ourselves because we might have to come in and and helps that tree <laughs> after taking away, you know, it's sort of self-sustaining food source.
0: Yes, and so in the world of gardens there's the the kind of um, ornamental approach of course uh, where it's uh, about the beauty and inviting insects and and, and wildlife and plant life um, into that section. There's also the world of of um, edible landscapes. Can you talk about that? It's fascinating to me how Edible landscapes are really on the rise and even flower bouquets at this point might have a broccoli or or a cabbage as the centerpiece, which I find extremely beautiful to bring that awareness that it's all, it's not just one is for eating and one one is just for looking at.
4: Oh yes, And, and edible gardens, I mean, what a great concept. I'm so pleased that they're becoming so much more popular because that's really something that can draw the whole family outside. It creates a lot of ways to do activities together, you know, at any age of person can participate in growing the food and harvesting the food and preparing the meal together and storing the food for uh, winter. So you have this whole array then of all these activities that are sort of um, centered around your edible garden.
0: Yes. um, And cost wise we want to talk about what the the resources you might be saving and and you have some even some um, alternatives or ideas for uh, no irrigation lawns right you can it's possible absolutely possible that you plant a wildly bountiful backyard that doesn't require irrigation or not at all or
4: Certainly if you choose plants that are adapted to your climate that's the key and even if you irrigate much less you know, and and use a smarter method of irrigation, you can sure save yourself a lot of water and money just by uh, installing drip irrigation maybe instead of having sprinklers where a lot of the water is uh, evaporating. And you can establish zones of uh, different plants that require different levels of water use so that you're watering them only as much as they need. Uh, and you can also have plants can help each other. You know, you can have plants that provide shade for plants underneath them and keep them from uh, desiccating in the hot, dry sun. Mm. So you can do a lot of design things to uh, design away some of those costs.
0: We're speaking with Evelyn Hedden, the founder of That's Lawn. That's leslawn.com. Evelyn, is it .com or .org? I think both work, yes. Both work. <laughs> but you prefer .com? .com is fine. Lesslawn.com, an um, organization dedicated to providing alternatives and education around how to make your yard as beautiful and perhaps less water and fertilizer and pesticide needy. Lesslawn calling in from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, you're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Mark Mulcahy.
1: And I'm Sitarani Palomar.
0: Evelyn, stay with us. We have a couple more questions for you. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more. Back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helbrand. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Palomar. Today's topic is moving past the lawn, environmental landscaping. And before we dive into that interview again with Evelyn Hedden, the founder of Less Lawn, that's lesslawn.com, and also the author of some very inspiring books of lawn alternatives, here is our weekly culinary. Bite with Chef Sita, Sita Rani Palomar and the Holistic Bite.
1: Thank you, Helga. Well, yes, spring weather does herald the coming of asparagus, as Earl of Earl's Organic said on the What's in Season segment earlier. And for Helga and Mark and Earl, it also signifies a sort of baseball season, which I find very <laughs> – they have their hands in the air. They're all so excited. So there is something for everyone to look forward to. Um, and some health tips on, on asparagus. There's research now suggesting that it contains a phytochemical that has anti-inflammatory properties, which I think is really remarkable people are now recommending it in the treatment of arthritis. So I love the power of whole foods. Asparagus is also rich in vitamin K, which I mentioned last week does help to promote strong and healthy bones. And it's a great source of potassium, which promotes a healthy heart. So I, I love asparagus because it has such a distinctive flavor. And I, I'm a total soup person. And I love pureed asparagus soup because I think it's a really great way to showcase the subtle grassy flavor of asparagus and I really, my favorite asparagus soup has a mild sweet gorgonzola melted into it at the end. (laughs) So some other really great ways for you to enjoy it, maybe um, poached eggs with hollandaise and chives and asparagus, or um, roasted asparagus wrapped with really thin slices of smoked provolone cheese. Or a quinoa salad with some asparagus and Easter egg radishes and some fresh herbs like mint and parsley. So any one of those would be a really great Mother's Day brunch item, which is another thing that Earl mentioned earlier in the show. If you're getting a jump start on planning that menu, which I think is particularly fascinating because in the Ayurvedic tradition, asparagus has been used in women's health. So it makes a perfect dish for the lady in your life. Men, maybe you want to make a breakfast in bed for your special lady this spring. So that's my uh, tip for this week's Holistic Bite.
0: And you can find all that, of course, online. All of Chef Sita's amazing suggestions and recipes can be found on an organic conversation on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash an conversation. Again, facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation or an conversation.com under our blog section. Thanks so much, Chef Sita. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helder. I'm Mark Mokay. And I'm
1: Sita Rani Palomar.
0: And our topic today is less lawn, moving past the lawn, environmental landscaping. Asparagus might not be where you would start, but we just talked about edible landscapes and um, how about herb gardens with Evelyn Hedden, the founder of Less Lawn, an organization lesslawn.org or lesslawn.com out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, bringing education to lawn care and to lawn alternatives. Evelyn, we talked about different kinds of landscapes, edible being one. And um, what you th- what's your thought on herb gardens?
4: Oh yes, I think herb gardens are great. I have to say though, I've been drooling on my phone listening to (laughs) (laughs) describing all of those uses of asparagus, and I know what I'm going to do when I get when my asparagus comes up now. (laughs) I have to say, I usually eat it right in the garden (laughs) as I'm walking around. I'm grazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh yeah,
1: it's juicy like that, right? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. great.
4: Uh, But herb gardens, I usually uh, tell people that is a great way where you can uh, save yourself some money uh, real easily because a lot of herbs require uh, very little care, but they just provide um, herbs for cooking all season long where you would go into the grocery store maybe to buy enough for one meal, and that is about the same as the cost of one plant that can just keep providing meal after meal. So that's an easy way to
0: save. And they are pretty hardy, and in, in, in general, you know, rosemary, for example, many people have a rosemary bush in their backyard and they don't even know about it. They are, in in many cases, already herbs um, in your garden, in your yard. They're usually pretty hardy, require fairly uh, little maintenance, if any, and also almost no water whatsoever.
4: Yeah, most of the most of the herbs don't want you to water them, so yes. they. Uh they prefer it dry Mediterranean climate, just like you have there. You lucky devils!
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Evelyn, in your latest book, "Beautiful No More Yards: 50 Amazing Lawn Alternatives," over 100 pages of inspiring examples of gardens of what can be done. Um, but in the beginning of the show, you said it's really easy. There, there are 11 basic concepts of of what can be done. In addition to you know, uh, la- less maintenance prone. Uh, yard or gar- garden or lawn mixes that that can be used what are the 11 can you talk us through that one more time
4: I can and smarter lawns are one of them we've already covered that yes uh, then you have living carpets and those are basically ground covers that you would use to keep a low open area then you have shade like gardens. like what
0: what are ground uh, carpets oh, for example like covers. clover so
4: if you're in the sun, then you might choose creeping thyme or creeping phlox. And if you're in the shade, you might choose a juga or uh, a wild mint or a sweet woodruff. Um, they, all, they stay low, they sort of fill the ground, and they um, could be used like a lawn, only uh, they wouldn't need to be mowed.
0: <laughs> and those are little flower-like or moss-like looking plants?
4: Some of them have flowers at different seasons. Some of them have broad leaves. Some of them have grass-like leaves. Uh, and they they vary. Uh,
1: can you needs. walk and you, on that's them? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Can you walk on them? You don't worry about damaging them. <laughs> you can walk on them. You know, uh, it's really a fascinating
4: thing to walk on different plants. You know, we experience those plants with with a, a sense like our you know our barefoot walk through them, and and they really uh, provide different sensory experiences. Mm, So if you stand on a lawn that's full of violets, those big broad leaves, they are really cool and smooth underneath your feet. And it feels very different than if you're walking across maybe a a springy short sedum that sort of uh, my husband describes it as I, you feel like you're getting a little foot massage when you walk across
0: it. Oh yeah. Those, um, uh, so so those are, um, ground covers. Then what's the next category? Then
4: you have shade gardens and those can be, uh, you know, any, any type of planting that you would do in the shade underneath trees. Uh, you may have, uh, smaller, shorter trees and shrubs and ground layer plants. Uh, uh It can look very different depending on what kind of planting you have mm-hmm. uh then you have in the sun, you have meadow and prairie gardens. those are um generally a mix of grasses and flowers, and they stay um they can be low like a um you know a foot high, clear to our tall grass prairies, which are taller than people um so they're a very lively uh choice because they attract a lot of Butterflies and pollinators, and um, they usually have chirping and humming and fluttering going on all the time. <laughs> then you have rain gardens, and those are places where you maybe have it uh, wetter, or you need to address runoff issues. You put in a, a garden of plants that really develop deep roots and can soak up a lot of moisture and can withstand periodic flooding, and uh, and that can be a, a fun way to get a different kind of. Um, microclimate in your garden you know and plant some of the plants that wouldn't thrive in other areas of your garden yes as well as dealing with the runoff from your roof uh then you you have uh, patios which make a great alternative to lawn especially where you have seating so you don't have to move the seating to mow under it and you might even go out there in more types of weather uh ponds are another one and uh they're a real rewarding alternative. They create a, a nice open low space like a lawn. It feels kinda like a lawn, but they invite uh wildlife in. They have reflections. They can even reflect light into your house or into the garden around them.
0: Beautiful. Yes.
4: Yeah. Yeah, they're very rewarding. And then you have um I have a whole chapter in the book on play areas uh, and what you can do instead of a lawn or in addition to a lawn. Because you know, based on current research, it just continues to show that for healthy brains and bodies, kids need to spend unstructured playtime outside, yes. and they need yeah. to interact with natural areas.
0: Uh, not not just not just kids, actually. <laughs> kids. <laughs>
4: kids of all ages.
0: <laughs>
4: we all could benefit, and that's really what I talk about uh, and what I write about is all the
1: benefit. Evelyn, I'm curious if you can tell us about the costs associated with this, because it sounds like creating a, a sustainable yard or, or no-mow yard might be a bit of an investment, but I'm sure there's quite a lot of saving over time as well.
4: Yes. You've hit the nail on the head. You start with uh, by investing some money, but then the benefits continue to accrue year after year. But you can also uh, make big changes on a very small budget if you're willing to let the changes happen slowly. And if you're willing to uh, hunt for bargains and maybe reshape your plan according to whatever materials you can find, uh, what's already on hand, what uh, might be available for free. So the costs, I I can give you a dollar amount. Uh, They really vary widely. It depends on the size of your yard, Mm -hmm. uh, what you have there now, what you want to have, and uh, whether you do it yourself or hire people to help you.
1: Do you have a couple quick practical tips that somebody, you know, who's listened to the show and has visited your site for some resources now wants to go ahead and take some of this into their own hands? What might they start with?
0: Yeah, what's the best resources you would recommend? Um, We're almost at the end of the show. But if somebody listens to this and is inspired, where would you send them?
4: I have to say they should start by buying beautiful Nomo Yards.
0: Yes, of course.
4: <laughs> of course. I, I think that's a, that was a nice segue. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will help. I mean, there is so much to consider, and, um, and there are so many different ways to approach it. Uh, it really does vary depending on your site, your style, what you want out of your yard, but you can get so much more than what you can get with a lawn.
0: Yes, and many city ordinances now even you know help you pay for it because they do help for taking out lawns to save water and uh, have yeah. pesticide regulations that are getting tighter.
4: And you can check with your water department uh, or the, the government agency that's in charge of water or your watershed, and they will often have grants. Uh, they have grants here in the Midwest for designing rain gardens. They have grants uh, that pay you to remove your lawn. They pay per square foot in Las Vegas and in parts of California.
0: That's great. Yeah. Thank you. That's Evelyn Hedden. Thanks for being with us today, Thank Evelyn. So a pleasure. Much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. We did too. The, Thank f- you f- so the much. founder of Less Lawn, calling us from Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's leslawn.com, is a great start. And also the author of um, that fantastic Beautiful. book, Beautiful No More, No Mo Yards, also available on that website or in your local bookstore.
1: Great show, man! Brings up a lot of memories, right? People have memories associated with their lawns yes. and with their childhoods. I, my biggest memory, I think, of lawns is that you know, I grew up on I grew up on seven acres, and so we had a riding lawnmower. And my dad used to spend probably four um, hours every weekend out mowing the lawn. And I wonder if we would have had a no mow yard, what else he would have done with his time? You know, if he had those four hours back every weekend. Although I think he enjoyed it because he had his music on and then these noise cancellation mm-hmm. canceling. Canceling headphones. <laughs> headphones, yeah, exactly. Listen to the baseball game or, you know, listening to music. Maybe it was Zen for him.
0: But, but... sounded like you were missing him a
2: little yeah. those far. Yeah, yeah, there was. probably that was probably a refuge for him, Yeah, right, to do away. that.
1: <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> well,
2: I'm not saying any of that. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and,
0: you know, I grew up... How was up, it for you, Mark? Well, yes.
2: I grew up with a front lawn, and it was my chores to mow and edge and rake the lawn. And listening to Evelyn today, I was thinking oh, I used to spend Saturdays every fall raking up all the leaves and sticking them into plastic bags and putting them on the curb for a truck to come pick up and take to the dump. And then I was just listening to her describe how trees don't like wa- lawn, uh, don't like to be with a lawn because they don't like that much water on their roots and that the leaves that they drop, the natural cycle for them is to stay there and, and break down and provide uh, food for the roots – and it's just like
0: and habitat for animals ha- and well, habitat I mean, this and a whole thinking, natural cycle. Yeah, I you
1: know, feel it. a little bit like we're messing with it, right, with well, our long yeah, creation. No kidding. Yeah, and 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 just <laughs> the, if
2: you if you think about things logically, then you'd go, oh, okay, it makes sense. We need to have a space around there for for the law, the, the tree to get the benefits of its own natural cycle. Yeah. And it's just I
0: don't know. It's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, when she started- I love that that you. Yeah. Then you rake it to keep it clean, and then you bag it and you put it away. <laughs> Oh, it it's garbage. Garbage.
2: And that's a whole industry right there oh. with just the, the garbage bags. Yeah. yeah. And what about you, Helga? What, ha- what was it like uh, in Germany? Lawns,
0: yeah, we had lawns in, in Germany around our house. Um, I love the smell of fresh cut grass and then the debate with one neighbor that always mowed during the lunch break. In, in Germany, we have, <laughs> have Mittagspause. It's a lunch break. You cannot make noise between noon and two. Because I guess people need, you know, quietness for eating, and then maybe take a nap. But between noon and t- noon and two, neighbors are not allowed to, as an ordinance, um, make noise. So and one guy would did. always ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, whatever your relationship is to lawns, think about the alternatives available. <laughs> and that was this week's edition
2: of an organic conversation.
1: An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate Producer, Kristen Ponger.
0: This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash an organic conversation thank you for your contribution
1: an organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters earl's organic produce a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store home or business since 1988 the website is earlsorganic.com
0: and also fry vineyards america's first certified organic winery Producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F R E Y W I N E.com.
1: Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is BowmanCollege.org. That's B A U M A N college.org.
0: If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com.
1: And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash conversation.
0: We are your hosts, Helge Helber
1: And Sitarani Palomar.
0: And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.
1: Bye.